Hey folks, welcome back for another episode of Biomass. We are in episode 181. Uh, Bait, unfortunately, could not join us this week, but we do have Livy. So let's get started with introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sariazel. I am Sariazel. Um, I am the uh, largest purveyor of Blizzard games on this podcast of and and Blizzard news, which is why I'm going to end up having to talk like half the show this, this week instead of doing my usual silently recording and not paying any attention. You'll have to talk about Blizzard games instead of play Blizzard games during the show. That's that's correct. I actually <laughs> I th- I thought about it and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do anything else while I have this much in front of me today. So yeah, we gotta give props to Zelda. I mean, normally I kind of put together most of the show notes, but I I came in earlier today and he pretty much filled the whole thing. So this show is pretty much all him. Um, so if it sucks, be sure to blame Zell as we always do. Thank you very much. Yes. All right. Jay, you are up. Okie dokie. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm also one of the purveyors of the biomass media empire, which is pretty much what I say every week. It's whether it's an empire or I'm actually a purveyor, totally 10% tree somewhere in there. Uh, as for episode 181, uh, I think the only thing I got on that one is I believe it was Lufthansa flight 181 was hijacked back in the late seventies. Uh, God, I want to say it's like 1975. No, between 75 and 77, uh, there was a Lufthansa flight that was hijacked. I believe it was 181. That's always as impressive as always. Um, Livy, you're up. So I, um, I uh, do dungeon crawl right now. That's all I'm doing right now. It's good stuff. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show, our, our initial thoughts on amnesia. It's pretty good stuff. But uh, I am Pokey Draven. I help host the show here. Uh, I also do the dungeon crawl series with Livy. Uh, we're like I said, we're moving away from pro. We pray we finish that one up. We're bringing a couple new games here, so we have a few more coming out in the coming weeks. But uh, should be good stuff. But without much further ado, let's get started with uh, kind of a, a big bucket load of, of news here. BlizzCon was this last week. That's Blizzard's kind of fan fest of sorts, where they basically announce almost all their big stuff for the year. And uh, there was a lot of stuff to announce. So we'll start with kind of one of the bigger ones: Overwatch. Um, had a new uh, animated short, which is uh, about Reinhardt, who's the the big guy with the hammer and the shield, uh, kind of his backstory. Um, I'm actually going to hand this over to Zell because he knows more about the character than I do. But uh, what were your thoughts on that, Zell? Um, well, you know, I, I enjoyed it. You kind of get this story about kind of his uh, his mentor through the thing. You find out uh, why he is a short one eye. Um, kind of where he went from being kind of a, a reckless, um, you know, uh, arrogant guy to who kind of went back and realized that he, you know, made some mistakes, needed to do what he was, you know, his actual job and pr- protect people. Um, there's there's kind of some some comedic uh, notions around it with the fact that um, his his young self way is how uh, a lot of Reinhardt players <laughs> tend to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I won't deny that my favorite thing is to charge people off a cliff. Um, and if the opportunity presents itself and I can charge someone off a cliff, um, I will abandon all, all notions of anything else I'm doing to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, what did, uh, cause I, I mean, what did you and, uh, Jay, I think both had thoughts on it. Sure. I mean, it was, it was interesting. I, I don't play Overwatch really. I've played a little bit of it, but not like. You know, I don't own the game, so I'm not playing it in, a, in a, any fashion that would, you know, lend me to be an expert on it. Um, and I found it interesting that in the the shorts about seven minutes, like seven and a half minutes, 
I know basically nothing about these characters, just that he's got a, a hammer and a shield. And I got a hand it to the Blizzard cinematic team that in, like in seven minutes, I was introduced to a character or a pair of characters. I kind of got a brief backstory of what they were doing. Um, and they had like an emotional moment. And I actually, you know, cared about these two characters in the course of, you know, just a few minutes, really impressive stuff. I mean, it's, I'm just, in terms of storytelling, they, they really nail these shorts and, and get packing like so much of making you care about characters in a game that doesn't even have a story mode, but they've got so much, you know, thought and emotional elements and just the whole thing was just really well done. I'm always very impressed with these shorts. Yeah. I would tend to echo a lot of what Pokey said. These are, uh, it's kind of weird, you know, because we keep we we've repeatedly gone back to some of these shorts that they do because they're really really high quality, uh, and I think kind of what Pokey's describing is like the density of what they pack into, you know, generally. I think the longest ones are maybe ten minutes, little like ten and a half minutes. So between seven and ten minutes, they get a lot of a lot of stuff done, and uh, it, it was interesting because like I think I remember when the map was released. Um, it was one of those European maps that it it was basically where that battle had taken place, uh, and you see the armor of the of like the head crusader that Reinhardt was interacting with, uh, where he's like kind of sitting there as like this classic fantasy trope of like you know the the body of the king on the throne in the you know in the in the cave or the the tomb kind of kind of feeling. And you really understand how all that happened. That's basically what they did. They, they took a snapshot or like one room in a PVP map and they tell a story around, around that kind of that room, what happened in that room. And you, and again, like they, they have done with several other characters, they, they pull you back into like what made that character who he is or, or explains a lot about him uh, in a very interesting way. Uh, so hats off to him. I, I, I think they did a, a really, really good job with it. Uh, and I thought it was uh, it was pretty solid. And uh, the thing that I really want to know is, like, you know, when they released such a map, were, did they have, like, you kind of wonder, like, did they have this already sketched out in mind? Did they build this, you I, know, storyline after? You know, I'll tell you, man, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think they at least, maybe not every little detail of it, but they... It's they, quite more deep, but I guarantee yeah. you they know something. They Because if you think about it, Zell, I mean, look at all of the different... Even the Easter eggs that they have like dotted throughout all the different maps, and they how they kind of you know, the Doomfist stuff that was in the game from day one, and it was all over the short. Is in two of the shorts, and is in in a couple of the uh, the PVP maps, particularly the the Mombasa uh, PVP map. Like I, I I don't know if they I think Pookie's right. I don't think they have it like laid out to a T, but I guarantee you there's. Probably like two or three folks, like with a whiteboard and like a fucking thousand stickies on a wall, that in their head they collectively have this kind of idea where all these things came from, and, and how they share that to the people putting the putting these shorts together is is what I find interesting because and, and then they tie it back to what you see in the visuals of the game. I mean, it's impressive. I mean, and and I'll be honest with you, I think the simplicity of Overwatch allows the game itself is very simple if you think about it. But it allows them this very clean vehicle to do all of these overarching storytelling things and sort of world building things in this really subtle way that that just kind of walks up and sneaks up on you. They're like, man, there's there's a lot going on here. And it doesn't and it doesn't seem like it at first. Yeah, I think that's that's 
a lot of the appeal is that, you know, you've, like you said, some of the Doomfist stuff was in there from day one. You've run past that thing, you know, hundreds of times. And then when they finally show you this thing, you know, a year later, you're like, oh my God, you have that aha moment, which is just really satisfying when you, you kind of figure it out. Um, and it's, it's enjoyable when you, you, you know, see references to, you know, other things that they've, they've put in and you realize they've been planning ahead to some extent. Um, it's just a really good experience, I think, for the players. And, and you're right that the simplicity of it, they don't have to dance around convoluted plot lines. It's just, you know, we've got like a bunch of seven minutes shorts, five to ten, five, ten minutes or whatever, and they're going to reference little things that we've planned and speckled throughout the world you've been playing in. Um, it's easy to do, but I think it, it, it speaks volumes and how effective it is because it is, you know, it, I don't play Overwatch, but, you know, seeing that like i did not even see the map with with the guy in the armor sitting in the throne but i knew like just from how they presented it i'm like i guarantee you that's in a map somewhere and they had that you know at least planned ahead to some extent and i i think that really speaks for for how well they've kind of thought out this world um in terms of moving forward and it makes you kind of wonder every little random thing you see you know there's a a screensaver on some monitor you you don't know that might be a reference for something that's coming a year from now uh, and i think that kind of makes a nice puzzle for the players to kind of unravel over time and that's that's a really good way of doing it so that was the uh the animated short that was pretty good but they had some more stuff uh a new hero from the sounds of itself do you want to talk about that uh yeah um so uh moira is a evil healer which is not usually something you see usually you know your healer archetypes are generally the good you know good guys um uh, Moira is a uh, geneticist working for the kind of uh, Talon, which is kind of the evil side group of Overwatch characters. Um, and it's kind of indicated that she might be where like Reaper got his abilities to kind of shadow move through things because she can do that. She has, um, as with most Overwatch heroes, kind of a dual function weapon that can do both uh, health or damage depending on who you're hitting. Um and and that's kind of her thing. Um, to me, the the more exciting one was actually the new map, um, which is is one of those maps that makes you wonder if somebody had wanted to build this in real life and then couldn't and decided to make a map of it instead. Mm -hmm. Exactly, um, because uh, the 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 new map is called Blizzard World, and it is a theme park of uh, you know Blizzard themed attractions. So there's you know like. Uh, World of Warcraft has a, a raid called Nax Ramus, and so there's a little uh, snack bar called Snacks Ramus, and um, there, there's the Hearthstone Tavern in there, and and some Starcraft attractions, and this and that. It 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 looks really really fun, just just loaded with Easter eggs for Blizzard itself as a company. Um, and uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to try that. That looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, that one looked pretty pretty enjoyable. And I, I had to laugh because I was watching it. And like you said, I'm thinking like someone somewhere in that company is like, man, what if we had a theme park? Um, and, and this is definitely what you would kind of expect it to look like. It looks, it looks fun, um, obviously completely out of canon because it would make almost no sense. Um, well, but, not, well, not necessarily. I mean, the, what you didn't see in, in it is Blizzard World did not have any Overwatch um, content. And you have to bear in oh. mind, you have to bear in mind that uh in overwatch uh diva actually got like before she joined the military and got her mech she was actually like a starcraft uh professional player that's part of her character so 
Uh, Blizzard Games clearly exists in the Overwatch universe, and apparently in the Overwatch universe they get a theme park. <laughs> That's pretty good stuff. I'd actually be kind of interested to see them do something, maybe not on the scale of a theme park, but like, uh, like you mentioned, there's a cafe. Because like Square Enix has something like that where they've got like a Final Fantasy XIV cafe and it's it's decked out in you know armor and shields from the game or whatever, and then they sell food that's themed after the game. But I can see on like a small scale, I'm not talking like a major chain here, but like Blizzard having something that's you know Blizzard themed, and you could have you know a Reinhardt statue in the corner, and they sell different kinds of foods that are themed after Overwatch games. I think that could actually do pretty well if they placed it you know in an area that that made sense. Yeah, I could see that if you, you'd have to put it like in Orlando or something like that. It, it would, you know, you know, I totally see what you're going for. Almost like a Planet Hollywood, you know, yeah, kind of exactly. thing. It, that'd be kind of cool, actually. There's, they're, they're probably one of the few game makers that have a deep enough library that's still relevant that you could do something like that with. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody somewhere has thought about some shit like that. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I would say, you know, again, Overwatch, very simple, very clean game. And they, it, that vehicle allows them to continue to add high quality, you know, components to it that, you know, just add to it. They haven't really missed on a lot that I can tell in Overwatch. You know, some people beef that it's, uh, that it's almost too simple, but it's really elegant in its design. It's very, it's very, it's very neat. And what, what I find interesting is they continue to add, characters to you know the playable characters that are unique and how they feel and how they play and what you can do with them so I, th- I think that's pretty pretty bomber actually i mean so all in all good short looks like a interesting new character uh you know that, that gives you a little bit of something uh and then also a nice new map which is is in a very tongue-in-cheek way kind of cool so all in all i think blizzard's doing pretty well at least o- overall i mean We've got several other Blizzard things to oh, talk yeah. about, but but for Overwatch, which is about the only thing I care that they do. I mean, I, I mean, I like their other properties, but I don't really get into them like I have in Overwatch. So uh, I'd say in the Overwatch facet, you know, if not a home run, a pretty pretty solid double or a triple. Yeah, Zell, that's baseball talk, just so you know. I I, I picked up on that actually. D- I was different kind of, kind of proud of myself. Ball. Well, well, my Astros won, won the World Series, so I had to throw a jab in there. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good series. All right, Zell. So moving along to other Blizzard franchises here. Here's the Storm. Um, that's kind of their, their top-down MOBA. Um, what's going on with that one? Yeah, so um, we'll try and go through the rest of these probably a little faster since less people probably care about them on the show. Um, but uh, Here's the Storm had two videos that came out. One that was kind of a, a trailer for their two new heroes. Uh, the first one is actually going to be Alex Straza, which is a uh, Warcraft character, and uh, she is actually a dragon. Um, and kind of the, the fun thing with Warcraft dragons is they kind of have like a humanoid presentation, and then there's their kind of full dragon-sized form. So uh, they're letting her switch between them and as a, as a main ability. And then the other one is uh, Hanzo from Overwatch. Um, so they will be adding lots of, uh, probably clever quips if you're using Hanzo and Genji in the same map. Um, so that is those. And then they're doing some reworks on like, they're going to make minions stronger. They're going to get rid of ammo on the towers. They're going to, uh, the big one that's going to be really interesting is they're completely reworking the stealth mechanics in the game. Um, in the past, uh, the, a stealth character has been like a really subtle shimmer 
on the screen. And if you're paying really close attention to the exact spot the stealth character is, you can see where they are, which has, has been interesting and hard to balance because some people are very good at finding them. Some people cannot find them at all. Um, and so they are kind of rebalancing stealth to be assumed to be visible and they're going to make it a lot easier to see. Um, but then in exchange, they're going to make the characters with stealth abilities uh, significantly stronger across the board. I, I don't know that I like that. Uh, I, I mean, I, that's in, a, in an odd way. That's kind of the game. That's the way a lot of games go is they're like, well, you're stealthed. So you, you're ne- there's always a tell, you know, there's always something that lets you see it. To me, the far more interesting gameplay is if you went totally the opposite way of when you're stealth, you can you cannot be seen unless very specific conditions are met. Like you move too fast or you do, you do something usability or whatever. But I think that in a, particularly in a, in a MOBA game would be, I think, I think more tactically interesting. Is that, does that kind of make sense? Or I, I mean, I might, that's, yeah, I, I agree with Jay, actually. I, I, do, I do get that. I think their biggest issue and challenge is um, that, you know, Blizzard has a really wide array of players who play their games um, from, you know, the like there are people who are in blatant terms not good at the game and never will be good at the game <laughs> myself. Um, but anyways and then there are the professional players you know and and there's this entirely wide spectrum and it's very hard to balance some mechanics um you know if if it's a mathematical function that you're balancing that's pretty easy but when it's something like do you notice out of your peripheral vision this slight shimmer in the field um i I, you know that could be really hard to balance the same way so that a character is not horribly underpowered you know against a professional that can spot him every time and not really overpowered against a player who doesn't even know to look for it you know um and, and i think that's really the reason that they're doing it yeah i mean i i mean you actually bring up a pretty good point there in terms of like how do you make the game accessible and you know moba games generally that 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 is very much the forefront of a lot of the esports uh type stuff you know i've I, I mean, other than RTSs, it's probably one of the original, like truly, like groundbreaking things. When you get down to, you know, there's a couple basic RTS games, uh, you know, a couple of basic MOBAs, and then really you've had a variety of FPS games and some fighting games in there for esports. But I, I think, like in a in a in like that almost frame by frame Twitch shooter style, uh, something where if you're standing still, you can't be seen, but the minute you move at all, or you do anything, you, you shimmer, you, you gotta have, you absolutely, have, you have to have something that indicates where, where another player is, even if it's a bit of a delay. I think I can buy it there when I, but in something like a MOBA where it's not, well, reflexes obviously count and matter. Um, the ability to recognize patterns and things like that, uh, you know, it's a little bit more you know, strategic is a poor choice of words, but it's, it's probably the only one I'm grasping right now. I mean, I think it that would lend itself more to, like I said, that that more nuanced play where there's like little, hey, like you know, when this when character X is using a, the stealth ability, you literally do not know where they're at until they do something. The hard counter to that would be, hey, there are other characters that can find stealth characters, you know, like a you know, AOE kind of thing or something, you know, whatever. Uh, and that to me is a more uh, a, a more interesting dynamic in a MOBA game. But I, that being said, again, they, they are doing very well with that MOBA game and it's kind of hard to, hard to throw rocks at them. You know, it's like, like they said, if it's not broke, don't fix it. 
Yeah, and I, I think in particular they had a lot of issues with um, uh, Valera was their last really major stealth character they introduced, um, and they just had a really hard time balancing um, that, and, and some of their other stealth characters have really been relegated to irrelevance for, for various reasons, and so they're kind of hoping they can fix it. We'll see. I won't know how I feel about it till I get a chance to actually give it a shot. When's that update coming through? Do we know? Um, I believe they just said gameplay improvements in 2018, so... Okay, so, alright. Probably um, pretty quick, though. I don't think they release a trailer and then wait six months. Yeah, and I, they have, uh, on their website, they do have, like, more detailed than the, like, quick... You know, like, the, the 1 minute 41 second gameplay improvements trailer, like, literally just says, stealth improvements, matchmaking improvements, this and that, you know? And they actually already have an article out on their site detailing you know, how they're doing matchmaking improvements. Like, they're going to, um, in addition to just win-loss ratio of your character, they're going to be addressing your character's role and how much you did of that character's role towards how it affects your MMR. Um, again, we'll see how that goes. Um, but they have quite a bit of details there. I believe, I believe they probably will be able to let you test some of this pretty soon. Um, you know, there were already people as of, at BlizzCon testing the new Overwatch hero and and stuff like that. So I, I think they tend to be pretty quick with their, their getting this stuff to testing so people can tr- try it out. And it, it looks like the two new heroes are coming in November and December this year. So you'll get those before end of year, which would be nice. So I think yes, hero probably one per month. Then I'm guessing the update to the gameplay will probably be early first quarter yeah uh here's the storm has a much faster uh hero release cycle they they have one about every six weeks we just got Junkrat a few weeks ago so that's crazy and they, they managed to maintain balance decently at that rate decently yes <laughs> okay okay because uh, just yeah I'm, I'm surprised that that's a that's a really quick cycle for for large content like a new character i do feel it's uh i do think it's a lot easier to balance a game like heroes of the storm than overwatch just due to the the lack of there's a lot less variables in certain things and a lot more abilities are target based so you can adjust things with straight numbers a lot easier um you know like one of the things is they're gonna strengthen all the minions and the basic point of that is it's going to be by doing that it uh they'll beat down forts faster and so it reduces the overall time of the match because the match timer has been getting a little long so they just you know bump up one set of numbers and suddenly the average goes down um what do you say the rough average time of a you know normal match you know plus or minus what um i honestly usually somewhere in the the like 18 to to 26 minute period like they try their goal is to keep it around 20 minutes and i've i've been in a 40 minute game once Um, that's way too long (laughs) yeah i i've been in one once um, that was really crazy, but usually uh, the later 20s is is about how long a match runs, and they want to bring that back under I, control a little bit, I, so they're going to speed things up a bit. Yeah, I, I remember when I dabbled, when it came out, you got you, you kind of got me interested, and I dabbled in a little bit. It's it's like I don't like MOBAs generally, and it's I, I will say it is pretty. Fu- it can be pretty fun. You definitely need to. Uh, the, the skill gap is is tremendous though when you start messing around with it if you ain't careful um but i i just seem to remember that yeah you know, the game time was i thought around 18 or 20 minutes when it, you back you know back when i played but i guess that makes sense that over time you know it it kind of has tweaked up a little bit and that that 40 minute game that had to be like 
perfect storm of all the um, characters that will slow things down. The 40-minute game, I think it was one of those games where, like, neither team was good enough to actually, like, finish it, but they were well-matched oh, okay. enough. Like, you know, it, it just... There sometimes you have teams that are, are will have a win, you know, a huge strength pushback, you know, and they don't just have the follow through to finish it, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, and you have that go back and forth a few times and it'll stretch out. Um, but I mean, like, you know, League of Legends has probably twice the average match timer of a, uh, you know, I mean, I think their av- their average game is probably 35, 40 minutes. So. That was actually one of the things I really liked about Heroes of the Storm is that it does get moving and get, you know, get into the the meat of the gameplay much, much quicker. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Sounds pretty good. Uh, so moving along here, Zell, uh, StarCraft 2 going free-to-play. And this is actually kind of in line with them recently making StarCraft 1 free-to-play, uh, barring the, the remaster that they were doing. So um, this looks like it's including the... F- First campaign, the Wings of Liberty, is that the base, just the base game? Uh, yeah, that would be the, without the expansion packs on top, yeah. Okay, and I think they were saying that if you happen to own StarCraft 2 already, and you own just the base game, they'll give you this the first expansion, the Heart of the Storm, Swarm, I forget what it was, um, that will be free instead, so if you... You know, you won't miss out on kind of this this campaign to give it away for free. So, if you're a fan of StarCraft II, that's going to be available on November 14th, from the looks of it. Which is are really you... really fast there. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Are are you a StarCraft guy? I am not. I'm actually really bad at RTSs, like really bad, really really bad. Um, so I don't own it, but you know, it is a it is a buy once sort of game. It's not like a a monthly game. And honestly, StarCraft Two has been getting so cheap. Like you can get, you can pick up a box with like, I think the original game and an expansion for like twenty bucks. Um, you know, it, it's been really cheap for a long time. It's it's not surprised for them, for me to that they're just gonna say the first the first game is free to play. They are actually gonna um, have a way for you to kind of unlock the ability to do ranked matches and stuff and everything with uh, the free version, which is pretty cool. Um. I don't know if they're really going to... Ha- I, I didn't see much in terms of how they're going to monetize it, if at all. They might just be hoping to get people to buy the expansions, um, but I'm not sure. Well, and I think Blizzard just kind of realized that, at least with their properties, I think a lot of the money isn't necessarily in the games themselves, but it's everything that spins around it. I mean, look at probably licensing sales for Overwatch apparel and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's got to be huge on its own. Um, which probably fuels a lot of the, we can keep producing the game and we're selling it, but we're not selling it for 60 bucks. You know, we, we can, we can sell it for a, a fairly well reduced price and do quite well. Cause I think Overwatch is 40 normally. Um, and I see it on sale a lot. They got free weekends, free weekends all the time. Um, I think they, at least with, with Blizzard and, and not every developer can do this cause they don't have the same, you know, uh, notoriety, but I think that they can get away with not having to charge a, a ton and they can give their games away for free. They can do a lot of free to play games. Uh, Cause I think I'm sorry, Pookie, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just thinking, I, I think what they've also done is they've very deftly stayed inside that sweet spot of what encourages players to utilize their microtransaction system. Uh, because, you know, most people that, that I would, I, and Pokey, you and I have talked about this, like even back, you know, like in our dust days and stuff like that. The, uh, when a game gives you value, like let's say if, if it's a free game or it's $20, $20 game, doesn't matter. But if a game gives you value uh, and you can, you know, and you really are getting 
you know, your money's worth, quote unquote, or you're getting more than that, you, you sense value in it. It's really, really easy to drop like five bucks, 10 bucks here and there uh, pretty quickly. And before you know it, you've actually spent a fair amount of cash, like over the light, like a year, you know, something like that. It, and when you can rely on a lot of different cosmetics and like really nifty kind of cool things like the, uh, like Heroes of the Storm or Blizzard stuff in general, which you can you can gain a lot of cosmetic things or loot boxes or whatever really quick, which you can also earn in game. But when you sense that you get that value feeling for it, I, I think they, they do a really good job of navigating that space. And because of the volume of the people that traffic in their game, that microtransaction rate is probably pretty healthy for them, I suspect. Yeah, I mean that's that's obviously a huge part of it as well. Is that you know if they can if they can deliver a microtransaction model that's doing well, um, the base game isn't where the money's at. It's you know in many cases it's reduced or free, um, and I think Overwatch has probably been largely responsible for you know the recent surge of loot box mechanics in in games. And I won't get into my opinions of that, but there's no doubt that they've been very successful with it, and people are buying them. So you know someone someone likes it. So you know they they they've done a good job at at making the value come out in what they are selling or, you know, encouraging you to sell. And I think that's probably a large part of it as well. So yeah, the, the Starcrafts can be free to play November 14th. Um, moving along here, uh, World of Warcraft, they announced their new expansion. Is that correct, Zell? The Battle for Azeroth? Is that the name of the expansion? Uh, that is correct. Um, and so they had a, a very spiffy cinematic, which will be in the show notes as will be videos for like half the stuff from Blizzard. I had like an hour of Blizzard related videos oh, yeah. for, for the co-host to watch here. It's all good stuff. Like their cinematic um, team is so top notch. But uh, yeah, so WoW expansions kind of uh, seem to vary back and forth between um, a couple of major major plot themes is uh, they either have like a big... Uh, villain that is you know such a huge threat that the alliance and the horde have to band together to fight him and then they have uh expansions that are more or less just the alliance and horde picking fights with each other for the entire thing um and uh after the last expansion which featured like sylvanas and varian like teaming up in the cinematic this is the complete opposite um this one is uh actually it, it shows an alliance attack on lordaeron which is uh Undercity, one of the main capitals of uh, the Horde. Um, and uh, so that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, the uh, it, it makes me want to serve my war chief, which is uh, Sylvanas, the uh, awesome Banshee archer thing. Um, but uh, the other one that I thought was actually really interesting news-wise uh, was that there's there's been a lot of talk over the last, I would say, year or so. And if you pay attention to gaming sites, you've probably heard about uh, a bunch of drama involving like a third party WoW server called Nostalrius, which um, the whole thing was that people wanted to play uh, the original World of Warcraft. And, you know, running th your own Warcraft servers is against the rules. Blizzard has shut them down over and over and over for years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would say it was probably over a year ago, Blizzard met with the Nostalrius devs and then basically said, it's too much work to make a classic WoW server because, you know, getting this all to work well with a, you know, official quality experience that people have come to expect from Blizzard is just too much. We can't do it. And uh, then this year they are doing it. So um, 
this is a thing that they're going to be spending a lot of time working on, getting everything polished off with the original game, making it work on modern computers. Um, I assume they will f probably fix performance bugs and stuff, but the mechanics and gameplay should all be ident identical to 2003-ish World of Warcraft. So um, should be very interesting, but should fill a niche desire for a... Uh, Small but extremely vocal group of, of Blizzard fans. Could you give us like a, a two-minute explanation of what vanilla means in terms of World of Warcraft for those who don't know? It's it's like the game as released in 2003. Um, there, you know, there's been, I think, what is this, the eighth or ninth expansion that just got announced at this point? Um, and get rid of all of that. Level cap, you know, right now the level cap is 110. Uh, the original level cap was 60. Um, and, uh, you know, there was just a handful of raids that were honestly really brutal back in the day. A lot of mechanics that they've introduced over time, uh, makes it easier to travel around the game map, makes it easier to, you know, for new players to figure out what they're doing. There's, I, I would say that the people looking for the vanilla wow experience are looking for something a little bit rougher um really more challenging than what you get from a current wow game is it is it bad that when zell was trying to figure out what year that was in i had to equate it to which paid vacation by united states government i took to southwest asia <laughs> been, been a while huh that's i think that's somewhere around like number two or number one maybe okay that's good stuff. No, I'm I'm actually surprised that there was enough of a desire for this that they would actually do it. Um, it just it feels bizarre to me that Probably I, mean, I understand much though, if anything. Possibly, yeah. I'm not, I'm not really sure what the cost is. It just I, I guess I can't get my head around that strong of a desire to roll back all the improvements that have been made. I mean, I guess you disagree with certain things and making it more accessible, and you don't like that, but. It, who knows? I don't play WoW. I don't. I don't know enough about it to really speak. It's just. It's very weird for me from the perspective of playing other MMOs. That why would you want this? But you know, obviously enough did that Blizzard thought it was it was pertinent to to make it official. And I'll I'll be curious to see how many people actually jump in in on this and, and see how popular it is. Yeah, I mean, like I I want to try it at least just to see what it was like. I joined late in the first expansion to the game, so. And even that was a pretty significant difference. Um, I, I, I'm curious enough to want to know what it what it's like, and maybe a little bit of the nostalgia of going back that far. Um, but uh, you know, I, it, it's been very very publicly visible this whole issue with the thir third party servers. And I think that uh, you know, even if it's a small group, trying to meet that need for those players will hopefully be worth something to them in PR value or something. Yeah, I mean, there is there is value in that, and it, potentially them spending less time hunting down, you know, unofficial servers and trying to get them shut down and dealing with all that. They can just go, here's the official one, shut up, leave us alone, you know, here you go. Uh, and I guess the nice part is that if it's by its nature, they never have to update it because it's if updating it would violate the whole point of it, so they can just let it sit there and go. So right, you just you yeah, well, I mean, you, they may have to patch the client for for Windows sure. changes or something sure. like that, but um. You know, depending how they do it, how similar it is to the the code underlying code of the 
current WoW client, some of the same, you know, they make a change for the new client and they say, oh, that's something that would affect the, you know, the original game. So we'll have to patch it there too. Um, but, uh, you know, it should be interesting. Yeah, should be good stuff. So one last thing on the uh, BlizzCon smorgasbord of, of stuff to talk about here. Uh, Hearthstone got a new uh, trailer for the next card expansion. Yeah, I just, like, it's, you know, it's a pile of Hearthstone cards. At the end of the day, like, it is what it is. But I thought this trailer was pretty fantastic. It was, it's uh, kind of a little bit of a musical number. So for Hearthstone expansions, is it just adding more cards to the game or does it add like new mechanics or is it just like literally a booster pack? Um, there, there can be new mechanics uh, introduced on the cards, but it, yeah, it is. It, I mean, Hearthstone is one of those games that it, like many Blizzard properties is extremely elegant and simple in the way that it works. Um, so for the most part, if there's a new mechanic, it is on the cards themselves. Um, and then one of the other things that is uh, notable is that um, the standard the standard playset of playable Hearthstone cards is like the base game and then like the past, I think, like year of card sets or something like that. So every time they introduce a new card set, an older card set becomes retired and can only be used for like wild games, which as anything goes so the overall game set of available cards does evolve over time um which is a neat trick when you you sell the card packs but that's i mean that's that's the way physical cards do it too you know there's there's a lot of card games have retired sets uh at least for tournament play like i know with uh magic the gathering for example there's there's a, a list of expansions that are currently usable in in tournaments and ones that aren't gotcha Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it's uh, like you said. I think that Blizzard, a lot of their their success comes from it being a, a deep gameplay, but very simple and easy to understand. I think that was kind of one of the major uh, taglines they're using for marketing for Hearthstone. Was it's really easy to learn how to play, but it's much more interesting once you get into it. Which I, from what little Hearthstone I did play, I, I kind of got that feel. I was like, okay, this let me like that was it. I mean, that's that's how the game works. Like, okay, that's that's pretty simple. Um, but you could see kind of the, the hints of, of more complicated stuff you could do and in, in the interesting gameplay that could evolve from what you had. So I think that, like you guys have said, the, the elegance and the simplicity of, of their stuff works quite well. And, you know, I think Hearthstone is definitely in, in line with that as well. So it's good stuff. So I think uh, that kind of wraps up what we got for, uh, for Blizzard from BlizzCon. BlizzCon. Um, there's a ton of trailers, really good cinematics. Like, like Zell said, it's like an half an hour to an hour of stuff to watch um, we'll get all the links in the description and their team does great work so it's all worth watching so i, I do suggest you take a look even if you're not a player of blizzard games uh they're they're really enjoyable to watch so do check them out so big topic this week um as Zell has coined in the show notes here the ccp vr apocalypse which is actually pretty accurate uh, so CCP Games, these are the guys that make EVE Online, um, obviously Dust514, which is kind of where this podcast started from, and they're currently working on Project Nova, which is kind of the spiritual spiritual successor to Dust514, so we've been kind of following that one. However, uh, big changes this, this last week. Um, company has gone under considerable reconstruction, uh, restructuring rather, and 
just kind of as a brief overview, they've had studios spattered about the the globe. Um, they've got their main studio in Reykjavik, which is in Iceland. Um, that's been there since day one. You know, that's that's you know the main hub there. Uh, then they had the Shanghai office. That's the one that produced Dust. Um, that produced both the Gunjack games. Um, then there was the Atlanta studio, I think, which was uh, originally the one working on that was that was part of the White Wolf um, acquisition, which was the World of Darkness studio that eventually got downsized significantly because um, World of Darkness got canceled. Uh, then there was Newcastle, which was working on the uh, that was that was Valkyrie was Newcastle. Um, am I missing one, Zell? Technically, they also have an office in London, which is where Tranquility right. is. That's right, they, and that's they have a, they had a small one in Seattle for a little while, but I think that was more of an administrative thing than anything. Yeah, so you have these production studios around the globe, pretty much. Those are basically all gone now. Um, Shanghai has been downsized to it's it's basically kind of what the London studio is now. It's it's there. There's people working there, but they're not working on games anymore. It's no longer a development studio. Um, it's going to be solely to kind of maintenance and take care of the Chinese Eve server. Okay, so um, with that said, everyone, pretty much everyone that was working on game development at Shanghai got laid off. So CCP Rouge, CCP Frame, um, CCP Logic Loop, um, they're gone. Um, then the uh, studio in Atlanta closed. It's just got wiped out. Um, they might have moved some people uh, to different areas, but they're they're probably all gone. Uh, the Newcastle, that's the the Valkyrie one, that is being sold. So I don't know if that means that Valkyrie as an IP is being sold with it, because in their uh, press release on the Valkyrie forums, they were saying that like, don't worry, it's the same team working on Valkyrie, but we're just you know selling the studio. So who really knows what's going to happen with Valkyrie? Um, I know that Project Spark, that's the Tron battle game, that was that was coming out of Atlanta, I believe. That's gone. Um, the, the game's still around, but since the studio is gone, I'm not really sure what the future that's going to be. Um, well, and go ahead. There was a subtle mention that VR stuff would be done in London, I believe. I saw somewhere. A little so bit, yeah. They might like. It, it's possible that whoever buys Newcastle might be taking on Valkyrie, or it might be that you know, the few developers they need to keep Valkyrie going will move to London, which isn't that far. Yeah. So that's kind of what's going on. And the only studio that's officially still remaining as a development studio is going to be the main studio in Reykjavik in Iceland. Um, Everything else is being shut down, downsized or sold. Uh, So that raises a lot of interesting questions. The original reason was uh, that, hey, you know, we, we are taking a break from VR. Um, as you've, you've been following CCP, you know that they've they doubled down on VR really hardcore. They had several major titles come out, both two two games on the uh, for, well, Gunjack 1, Gunjack 2. They came out on, on mobile titles. They were in different platforms, but they were both VR. Valkyrie was obviously their big one. Um, Spark you, is another big one. You know, the you could say they were laser focused on VR. They were laser. F- God damn it! <laughs> um, yeah, no, they they were they were doubling down on VR, and they came out and said, "Hey, we we want to move away from that for the next couple of years." Um, they said two to three years. We're, we're basically freezing all development on VR, um, which is obviously showing since all of their VR studios are basically shut down, um, and we're going to focus exclusively on PC and mobile titles. Um, and they said that they're looking at the Chinese market right now for mobile and what's going on there. But 
honestly, from the sounds of it, the only things that they're currently going to be developing at this point is obviously Eve. They're going to keep Eve going because that is the heart of the company. Um, CCP Rotati did pop in and, and openly confirm that Project Nova is being developed for PC. It's not VR. It is unaffected by um, any of these changes. I imagine that if anything, it's probably a positive thing for for Nova. I know that there was a lot of concern that because it wasn't VR that CCP wouldn't take it seriously. Well, VR is gone now, so this is all they've got left. Um, and then, of course, uh, Project Aurora, which is the new uh, kind of Eve Light um, mobile phone game that they announced at, at Vegas as well. So a lot of interesting stuff. Um, on the Valkyrie front, uh, they did say, hey, we're going to get the winter update out, but there was no word on if it's actually going to continue past that point. Um, I think that's kind of up in the air. I think they have a, a buyer maybe set up for the Newcastle office, but it obviously hasn't been announced yet. And if you've been in a company that's ever been acquired, you know that that often comes with a lot of changes as well when, when someone comes in and buys your studio. So I'm guessing that they've probably guaranteed we'll get the winter update out, but you know, it, it makes you wonder that if they're moving away from VR, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts after you guys give yours, but why, why do you think they are moving away from VR in general after going into it so hardcore for, for several years there? I think the people that invested heavily into CCP, because you got to remember a few years ago, um, they had... The CCP wasn't bought. It was, uh, I think, significant portions of its uh, internal shares or its internal um, what whatever you want to call it the percentage of ownership in the company was basically accounted for by some outside investors if you probably I think about three years ago uh, we even did a story on it where they came in and suddenly there were people not from Iceland that were involved in heavily in some of the decisions um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're like hey we're not seeing we're not seeing the end game for the VR stuff yet. Uh, and this, you know, we're, we're, we're spending more money than we're making. And even if we were going to start making money, it will be a long time from now. Um, it would not surprise me if that was uh, no small part of it. And then, I mean, the reality is even though Eve, Eve online is their flagship game, that is a, that has always been a niche game and that niche is continuing to getting small. Con continuing to get smaller, excuse me. So I I just, I mean, the company's been around 20 years and they've effectively not changed a whole lot of shit, but a lot of things around them in the, in the game market change. So can they weather the storm and continue? I don't know. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're contracting for, for those reasons. I do know from a, a basic business model standpoint, uh, you know, a case study on how you, how you, rapidly become less successful and make less money is to uh, instead of diversifying you mono produce whatever your product or service is at the expense of diversification i mean aka they're contracting not expanding so i'm not really sure what's going on with that but they they sold heavily 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 into vr at the expense of a, at the expense of a whole lot of other things and that's apparently not pan panning out for them uh, I mean, if it was painting out, they would likely have not fired, you know, a large chunk of like longtime core uh, core employees from the Iceland home office, you know, much less some of the ones they, they've shelved around the world and they're sh they're shucking off like whole 
whole wings, so to speak, of assets. That's not just the people. That's like physical assets, too. That's probably some property assets as well, or intellectual property assets as well, I bet. Yeah, and I mean that's the other part of it that it wasn't just it wasn't just the VR studios that got that got axed. The entire community team is gone except for two people, which is uh, CCP Guard and CCP Falcon, which have been there for quite a while. But there's people like you know Manifest who's been there for ten years, ten plus years. He's gone. You know they they it was more than just the VR. It, it's definitely a significant downsizing of the company. It's well. I, a hundred people, I think, out of three seventy. Give or take, yeah. Yeah, so like um, over a quarter of the company is got just got laid off. Well, one of the things I wanted to point out was, um, you know, and and I think it was uh, Jester Trek. I read a comment from who basically said that every time CCP does one of these mass firings, they downsize the community team because there are people at CCP who don't directly see them as as you know critical, fundamental, necessary components of of games operating. Um, but I do note that Manifest, who is their head of public relations, um, he was at the Atlanta office, and I guess he, uh, I guess he said that he had he had heard some informal, you know, comments about if he relocated, uh, but he was never officially extended an offer to relocate uh, from Atlanta. He was just let go along with the rest of the Atlanta office. Um, and I guess I, I, I think I read that he was actually the last original White Wolf employee too. Um, but, uh, the, the, one of the interesting things as far as people in the community team being let go is, uh, I was reading, uh, the Imperium had a, uh, you know, in-depth look article on CCP's firing and they specifically said, um, the, the note that stuck out to me was that Iceland has a strong union culture and that foreign staff are automatically put in unions to avoid abuses for foreign workers. Um, and so they said that firings are very hard for a business to do unless they are part of a restructuring layoff. So uh, dismissals tend to be grouped up and done together. So th there might have been people that they were maybe interested in downsizing for a long time. Um, and it, it just kind of became part of this overall thing. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that, Zell, but I would just offer that's probably, how many total people did you say got laid off, Pokey? About a hundred. So if you you're you're probably looking at ten maybe that fell into that category, I would bet Zell. Um, you know, people they're like, well, you know, for whatever reason their their job's gone away or that person's not working out or whatever. They they probably don't accrue that many people. But just, I, I mean, know. I don't think the number of cuts in Iceland was particularly large. The community team was probably most of what came out of actual like that were fired out of Iceland I, itself. I I was tracking is about twenty or thirty out of Iceland. To out of that out of that whole no, that's why I kept thinking of it is somewhere in that range. Does that sound okay. about right? Probably. I mean I I mean the reality is though, they're they're still like carving off chunks of what that corporation does. And and they're they're you know, even if they like, you know, as we joke about being laser focused, you know, uh, bring that down to just Eve Online. And, and a, you know, one or two periphery kind of offerings. That's uh, like, I would be really interested to know, like, if you really looked into the, like, how do you make money as a game corporation? How, how that works. I mean, I'm, you know, Eve is interesting in that it's a, an extremely small player base that sticks around and it's a smaller and smaller, smaller player base that even tries the game. 
those that stick around often, you know, put in significant amount of money over the lifetime of the game. So you got a bunch of Denny Fleetfoots running around. Uh, Denny Fleetfoot, by the way, is actually the nom de guerre of a, of a player, uh, some other games that we knew that is your classic whale, you know, the guy that sinks mad cash into a game for whatever reason. Um, so that that's what their population really relies on. And I'm kind of curious, I, I like that's not a good business model. That, that just is simply not a good business model in a game environment world. Uh, so I, well, and, I don't know, think it's, I'm not going to go to do the whole Eve is dying bullshit, but it's it's from a corporate standpoint. It's just th- these are not indicators of a sound business, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I CCP has always been a one product company and they've spent the last six or eight years trying to become a multiple product company. Um, and you know, a, a closure of this scale basically emphasizes that they have not succeeded with their last attempt. Um, you know, they Dust was really their second game that they ever released, and they closed it. Um, as far as the, they've actually, if you think about it, in the last couple of years, they've done a surprisingly good job in that they released like four games. They had Valkyrie and Spark and Fair Guncheck point. One and Two. Um, and the I, I actually it, like they may not be that bad in a cash situation from this project, but like to give you an idea is, is and I've I've talked about this before with their VR push is every game that they released for VR was a exclusive to Oculus to uh, the Samsung Gear VR to the Google Daydream and uh, Spark of course launched as a PlayStation VR exclusive. So it, it, when you get that exclusivity agreement you get money. That's that's the whole point. You you agree to sell to less customers so that you get money from the company that makes the platform. And it's very likely that that money was the bulk of the money that, that CCP made. My understanding is they didn't really lose money on their VR game developments that they did. But the problem is, is that there really isn't a huge VR community to buy them or keep buying them. I think probably a large share of their their income was those exclusivity agreements, which are one-time cash things, whereas the employees that they're paying are monthly recurring costs. Um, and I, I think they were kind of hoping that, you know, they, they I, in a lot of cases, I think these games were, with those agreements, considered sure bets that they're going to, you know, at least break even, but without that VR community massively growing to, you know, keep, keep pace. Um, they've got to cut it off. Yeah, no, I, I think you, I think you get a good, I, I think you get a good, good handle on that in terms of where your sort of where your analysis is. It's, uh, you know, ultimately time will tell. And, and I think even one of the things that uh, Helmar, the uh, CEO of CCP, offered, and it wasn't a press release, but it was a general comment, was something along the lines of, "Hey, we're we've just become a twenty-year company, twenty-year-old company." I think within the last week or two. And if we want to make it to 30, we have to do some different things, which is pretty accurate, you know, for whatever else you want to say about what they've, how they've grown as a corporation uh, or as a business entity, rather. That's, you know, that's true. They got to do some different stuff. I mean, the reality is that, you know, they sunk, they sunk some time and money into VR. It may or may not have paid out. And the reality is like, they probably were relatively happy with the technical things that they achieved. Uh, and 
if for no for for nothing else, they've got things that they can now lean on if and when VR becomes more more relevant. And and frankly, I would have thought if anything would have taken off, I thought Valkyrie was an outstanding offering and still today probably you know one of the best overall VR gen, you know focused games out there. And uh, so that that I thought would have carried them a little bit more. I think that maybe some people just generally overestimated how well VR would take off uh, or its ability to take off, so to speak, in the current environment. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think that, um, like Zell said, a lot of it was you've got the the VR technology is is selling well enough. I mean, it's growing. Things are getting cheaper. We, we talk about it every few weeks. There's a new headset that's a little bit cheaper than the last one. Um, it's it's getting there. I mean, it's going. But when you have an entire studio dedicated basically to the production of a single VR game, um, and if, you know, like Zell said, you have a fixed cost. Every every month, you got a fixed cost of the people you're paying. And if you want to continue development on a game that's a long cycle development where you're going to keep updating it constantly, you got to keep paying those people. But if the sales of the game are not increasing to match that and your microtransaction are not increasing to match that, it's unsustainable. So my guess is that they probably said, well, we basically broke even. We'll you know, add non-VR uh, capability to the game so it makes it a little more appealing to another company that might want to pick it up. And then we're going to sell the studio. Because unfortunately, you've got you know, the video game industry is very project-based, is that you, you hire a bunch of people, you make the game, it's great, you release the game. You usually don't need all those people to keep making the game. You don't need that entire production staff to keep updating it and that sort of thing, so you have to lay people off. Um, and that could be part of, you know, some of this issue with their their um, the way that they're structured is that it's difficult to get rid of people once you hire them. So they were stuck with this entire full team and they're trying to, to make it work. And they, they probably made money, but they realized this trend is not increasing fast enough for us to keep profitable. We're going to start bleeding money after a while. We're going to go into the, into the red. And they probably just cut their losses and said, we're out for two to three years. We're going to wait for the market to catch up. And then we've made good headway in terms of technology. I mean, CCP by no no question did amazing things with with Valkyrie and and building the tech for VR and it was definitely a front runner in that. They've still got that. They could still definitely re-enter into that market. But for right now it's 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 difficult because there's just not enough buyers out there to make to buy the game. And no one's gonna drop four hundred bucks on a headset if the only thing they want to play is Valkyrie. So it's not gonna drive sales to a point where it's gonna, you know, no matter how awesome Valkyrie is, it's not going to make that industry keep up with it just for that one game. So I think them pulling out and waiting for a while um, will probably work. Um, I think that they they probably, like Zell said, broke even or made a little bit of money, but they realized this isn't sustainable. We gotta we gotta pull out here. Um, but in that thread, this actually makes a lot of sense with what they were talking about with Project Nova and Project Aurora, in that they are outsourcing a lot of the work. Um, that they're going to have kind of a core team working at CCP, you know, in Iceland, obviously, since they moved Nova to Iceland, which also kind of makes sense because they're, they were probably planning on getting rid of Shanghai for quite some time. And then they're going to outsource the work to another party like Sumo Digital. And that's advantageous because it's less risk that they, they don't have to carry all that staff themselves. They can throttle up and down what they need as per contract. And at the end of the project, they can go, okay, well, thanks for helping us make the game. We only need a third of what you guys were 
contracting before, but we'll we'll pay you know that third of people to keep development going, and it allows them to kind of circumvent some of the more locked um, policies they might have in terms of staffing, and it makes them a little more fluid and more flexible. And it may have just turned out that the additional cost of outsourcing was less than the cost of trying to float a giant production studio long term. So I, I think that what you're seeing here is CCP massively downsizing, going, okay, we got to pull everything in, keep it more centralized, and then we'll just contract out what we need. Um, they'll keep working on Eve their own. They're not going to hand that off to anybody in in the near future. But in terms of new properties, you know, Nova, Aurora, whatever else they have coming on next, I almost guarantee you it's going to be all contracted work where they're going to they're going to do what CCP is good at. They're going to make a world, an idea, a concept, the community. That's kind of what they're good at. What they're not great at is making a first-person shooter in like the the moment-to-moment gameplay. They're better off hiring someone else to do that, and they've probably realized it's probably worth just paying someone to do that part for us. So I think that's the trend you're going to see with CCP is that they're going to keep their very close to the chest in terms of who they keep on staff and then contract out whatever they may need. It's, it's more fluid. It's less risk. Um, it's probably less money in the long run. And in terms of VR, they're, they're going to hold off for two to three years and probably reevaluate and see if, if more people own headsets. But until then they're going to focus on what they know is going to sell, which is PC games, very large PC um, player base out there. You don't have to worry about that people will buy PC games and mobile titles because not everyone has a cell phone, but a hell of a lot more people have cell phones than they do VR headsets. And you can reliably release a cell phone game and have it sell if it's good quality. So that's probably where I see it going. It's, you know, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, it's, I think, I think your read is right in terms of the the direction that they're going uh, in terms of how they want to outsource. Well, Outsource or license out, you know, different capabilities to different different entities or organizations. And frankly, that's probably a really good thing that they should have been doing a while ago. Uh, so from that aspect, I, I think that's fine. Either push for mobile stuff. To be honest with you, I think that's that's literally a cost benefit analysis. Like the amount of people, effort, and time it takes to um, develop and establish like a mobile a mobile game or something like that and then figure out how to drop some microtransactions in it keep it fresh a little bit that's probably literally just like a money you know like it takes x amount of money you know or resources be that employee or coding time or whatever it is maintenance time uh to maintain this product or service and it generally is expected to do x plus in terms of a return that's probably the only reason you you keep that kind of thing, just because the overhead's really low and it's kind of easy to make make some money off of it. Um, but pretty much everything else that they've cut, those are big swings. The, those are like big big swings. Don't I mean a lot of people don't remember this, but uh, the whole purchase of White Wolf many many moons ago, that was a a fairly significant piece of of news in the game world. And I don't mean just video game world, I mean gaming world, because White Wolf was uh, at one time extremely popular as a, a, a uh, fantasy product or IP, if you will. And frankly, it still kind of is. Now they've gone through a variety of different, like who can who can sell what and trade in what styles of fiction and games and things like that under the World of Darkness banner. But that was a very, very, very popular and very hot commodity. And they bought that specifically to create a online 
version of what they were doing in in World of Darkness, you know, which more or less like a fantasy style gothic D and D esque type type kind of environment. Um, that that was a huge swing and a miss, massive swing and a miss uh, for for CCP, particularly when you get into kind of the uh, the kind of gory. You know, no pun intended. Way that 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 sort of unfolded over the several over the years that they had that property, and then effectively killed it through mismanagement. Uh, for no for no lack of better term, uh, dust was another great idea that whiffed badly because of some really poor choices. They've done this repeatedly. Uh, VR, I don't think was necessarily a poor choice, but I, I think they stacked too many chips behind that one uh, when they could have. I think they sacrificed a lot of things that they that they they probably could have become viable to produce VR. Now well, it seems like what they're doing is they're trying to figure out ways to capitalize on what they do well, which is you know like I said, build concepts and design. Well, uh, specifically regarding VR, uh, the other thing I read was I read a commentary on from some other VR studios on the news. You know, because people were asking like, you know, is this is CCP leaving VR a hallmark that says VR is dead and the, the point made was that, you know, there's not like because VR is such a new space that people are still exploring and not, doesn't have as big of a customer base that you really have to keep a small, nimble team behind it. And CCP pro- probably really over overextended, you know, and they produced games that were, you know, AAA quality you know full studio games but maybe you know vr just can't support that yet yeah no i mean that's that's not a bad you know certainly not a bad perspective on it i mean it's still i mean the thing is you still have to you still require a lot of different um or or a noticeable increase in your outlay of money to to enjoy these kind of games and stuff like that and even valkyrie here very recently is now they now have a non-vr option for you to play probably specifically to broaden their audience. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to, interesting to see, you know, where they, they take it from here. Um, it just, you know, I, I've, I've been laid off at a company before, and it just, it sucks. Um, so, you know, I, I do, all things aside, feel really terrible about everyone that had to lose their job. There was a pretty uh, emotional post by CCP Lilu on Facebook that uh, we can probably get a link to that was it was also pretty pretty tough to read coming from the perspective of someone who's had to deal with that before. So, you know, I, I do feel awful for everyone that, that was affected because it was a lot of people. Um, and, you know, sometimes these things are necessary for a business to survive, but at the end of the day, someone still lost their job. And... You know, the people at CCP are usually very passionate about what they do. So this well, is a, a lot of them are, a lot of them are fans. I mean, yeah. Lilu was a, a you know big fan of CCP for a long time, who then did get hired and moved internationally, you know, to work for them. And that's a story that I've heard, you know, more than once, more than a few times. Uh, you know, Lajibro moved to uh, you know join CCP to work on Dust as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, I don't think we really mentioned this yet is, is some of the people that we knew pretty well, um, CCP Rouge, uh, who was kind of the head of stuff at, at, uh, Shanghai, uh, Frame and Logi Bro, who were both, uh, you know, dust community folks, um, uh, and, uh, Logic Loop as well, who was, uh, one of dust's map designers who had done some work for, uh, on Nova maps as well until, uh, Nova development moved to Iceland. Um, and I particularly feel bad for Logic Loop because he got like axed before, 
Like he he was axed during some of the dust issues, um, and then they hired him back to work on Nova, and then they axed him again. Well, He's I, been I, laid off twice. Well, he I think he could have gone with Nova when they moved it, but his family was in Shanghai at that point. He's like, I'm not moving my family to Iceland after all of this, so he stayed in know, Shanghai, which was... was kind of the. The kiss of death, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I know that was the case with Frame. I wasn't sure if that was for Logic Loop as well. Um, I'm fairly certain it was family related. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, Frame had become a producer, and and I think he was a producer like on the Gunjack titles, and you know maybe was working on something else past Gunjack Two. Uh, and I assume Logic Loop was working on whatever you know Frame and whoever else in Shanghai were working on, and and because they were still in Shanghai, both of them got the axe. Um, which is really unfortunate. Logic Bro got pulled up in the, you know, he had gotten kind of shifted to the Eve community team, so got axed with the rest of them. Um, I was, I, I wasn't too surprised that Rouge was part of it, just because he, you know, he was from EA, and the whole thing was to to run a game studio and make games, and then they decided to turn Shanghai into just a maintenance office you know, for the Chinese version of Eve, really, and that doesn't really fit with his set. Like, if they hadn't let him go, I would have expected him to just leave, you know? Yeah, that's not really his thing. Um, it's What's interesting about that is that Rouge was actually the one that appointed Rattati to run Dust, and then obviously that, you know, Rattati moved on to Nova, then moved with Nova, and then Rouge got canned because he stayed behind. It's like, well, shit, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, that, that whole... That whole exchange i mean rouge came in obviously with you know as we, we call it the rouge wedding with with the legion announcement and all that and you know he, he he came in under fire and pretty much you know was there did did a couple titles at shanghai and then this it's just like shit man um he's had a rough ride at ccp so that's that's real unfortunate as well and i feel bad for frame because he just got that promotion to producer um from being a community guy and it's like well crap you know well he was gonna get axed either way though if you consider that he was community team before anyways uh, right but it's like yeah you got a promotion and you, you're gonna have it for you know three months and then you're gonna get canned it's it's just the whole whole thing sucks you know i just i hate layoffs they're 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 bad for the people that get let go but they're bad for the people that stay too because you're sitting there there's always confusion there's always you know paranoia like is this just the first wave what's going to happen to my job you know your your friend just got laid off and you know you were sitting next to him and it's like am i am i going to be okay it's never healthy for a company i mean i like i said i've been i've been laid off and i've been part of a company where i wasn't laid off but a lot of people were at the same time so um, it's it's really uncomfortable for everyone involved, and you know it's it's very unfortunate. And I I hope that this is the last of of you know letting people go and people can, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. you know you you hope, but you know we'll we'll have to see. So well, I mean if you think about, I mean just look at the video game industry, like like many many artistic media driven things, whether it's a movie or video games or whatever, you're effectively working yourselves out of that job the moment you start it that's that's the point of mo you know most of it in in some respects now there's some of them where they're you know kind of designed as more long-lasting products and things like almost the games as a service model where it's a little different but the video game industry its turnover is dramatic compared to a lot of other ones i mean that's that there's no there's no major shocker there uh i do i i think it's I think it will be interesting to see where some of these people go. Uh, you know, they, you know, 
in a weird way, this is not unlike, I remember watching my dad work construction. You know, we would move around the country like every couple of years, basically to whatever the, the next project or, or plant or whatever he was building or whatever. But there always seemed to be a lot of the same faces at each one of these. Uh, so it would not surprise me if you start to see like conglomerations of these people in different, different locale locales um, that, that sort of um, the uh, Warhammer 40 K uh, third person shooter that they put out effectively, like several core members of that team were some of the original guys that put dust together. Um, and it, it absolutely shows by the way, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, I think they're all going to land on their feet. I mean, Rouge had a very good reputation before he arrived and I suspect he will eventually get picked up, you know, or probably sooner rather than later for somewhere else. I do find it in that Rattati did stay. Uh, you mentioned that one, Pokey, and I think you're right. Um, I think maybe just because of the the massive goodwill he earned, uh, you know, from the from the FPS community in that in sort of the dying days of Dust slash Legion, that's probably helped him a lot. Um, I'm. I'm interested to, I'm curious what he's actually, what he actually does. I, su- I suspect he is, you know, more or less the, uh, the CCP man that is working directly with, would you say digital sumo? Sumo digital. Yeah. Or sumo digital. That's, that's trying to put, you know, Legion slash Nova together. Um, more of a, as a project manager, LNO kind of guy than anything else. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that was a, that was a big question that a lot of people have with all this came out is, you know, what's going on with Nova and from the sounds of it, if, Words from Hilmar and, and Rattata can be trusted. It's it's fine. Um, I think it's going along strongly, and it, it's in line with their what they're focusing on. So I think Rattati's probably good to go. I think he'll he'll do fine, and the project will you know hopefully be successful. So I suspect we'll see more from him soon. All right, so let's move along from that. Um, so a few game reviews here. Uh, Jay, you picked up the new Call of Duty. Is that correct? Why yes, Pokey, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what oh, wait, thoughts wait, wait. On, on, oh, what, what? Oh, did, did I miss you, something? Did you mention Spark? Getting... Oh, I, I don't that know if Spark. you slipped it in or not. So just a, a quick quick thing on that. So Spark, that's, this is the game that was produced by the Atlanta studio. Um, it is it originally was a PS4 um, or rather PSVR exclusive. It is going to get ported to PC, so it will be compatible with the Vive and the Oculus Rift and on that's November releasing, 16th. Yeah, really fast. Yeah. And so... I don't know if that was like a we had it ready and we're going to ship it out there before the studio closes or if that's an indication that there's some sort of maintenance. I have a feeling that they had it ready to go for PC and it, it was just a matter of, you know, this is the date we can release it because of our exclusivity agreement. Yeah, so that's that's good. Um, you'll have to tell us what you think of it, Sal, since I know that you've been I'm very excited. eager to, to grab this one. So you'll have to let us know and give us a review on that once it comes to PC in uh, about two weeks here. Okay, so... That aside, VR, we're done. Moving on. Uh, Jay, Call of Duty, initial impressions? Ooh. Um, okay. So, uh, a quick caveat. I've put maybe six and a half hours into the game. Uh, so, here's here's what you get. Circa 2017. You get Call of Duty for 2017. Uh, and, the, and it is in a World War II setting. Now, I know that sounds incredibly sarcastic, but, like, what it literally says on the package is... is by God, that's what you're getting. So here's what they do well. Um, the moment-to-moment shooting, a- incredibly Twitch-based. Uh, there's three basic kind of facets to their game. It's the campaign mode, the single-player campaign mode, the multiplayer, 
and then there's the zombie mode, which it's is a kind of a distinct subgenre that is, is actually has its own following. There's quite a few people that frankly get Call of Duty and just play zombie mode. And I, I actually other stuff. my boss is one of those. Uh, I work for someone who's just zombie mode is the the thing that they they buy the game for. They don't even play anything else on it. Right. And I, I'm surprised you'd be surprised how many people are like that out there, which is that's probably, you know, it's kind of started as like a, you know, like a goof sort of like a, Hey, let's do, do a cool zombie zombie mode, like a, uh, you're kind of like endless wave of zombies kind of thing for PVE type fun that really has kind of sprung into its own solid game. Excuse me. Uh, the, um, so here's what, here's, Here's kind of how this breaks down. The campaign mode is uh, they're definitely taking a better stab at a campaign mode than you've generally seen in a Call of Duty for the last several years. Now, that being said, a lot of the the, the ones that I've played, uh, like Advanced Warfare and a couple other ones here recently, um, their campaign modes were very, um, I would say, underplayed. Like not a lot of people got into them or played them, but and if you played actually all the way through of them, it's, some of them were actually quite good. Like actually, really, you know, kind of neat. You know, definitely, you know, B movie, you know, action flick style, but in some cases, but some of them were pretty solid. This one really is going out. You know, really trying to put it out there that they really want a a, a meaty campaign. Uh, so instead of about a five hour campaign, which is what you generally get in the in the other Call of Duties, this is about ten, um, and it is—it's uh, not bad. You definitely get a lot of different archetypes in the squad. It's kind of your standard World War II s type thing. The protagonist is, you know, this you know rifleman from you know rural Texas that joins, almost Audie Murphy esque. By the way, the—it's uh, it, pretty solid. Uh, they go to some great lengths to make you interested in the characters. They are. Uh, hit or miss in some cases, but they they make a really good effort at it. the The battles themselves, the cut, the uh, the the campaign mode battles are um, very very much what you expect out, expect out of Call of Duty. There's a lot of rushing about, you know, endless waves of bad guys, a lot of people getting blown up, and these big huge cinematic cutscenes that are dotted quite liberally throughout the uh, the action. Now, a couple things in the gameplay. Uh, the gameplay is definitely different in that you don't have kind of that uh, Wolverine-like uh, health regeneration. It's all like health packs and stuff like that, kind of much more old-school style. So it definitely changes how you play, and you you are more in the forefront of the action as opposed to a lot of the recent Call of Duty offerings. You're kind of following a squad, or you're very much on on the roller coaster ride. You know, you are in a you know. Well, lack of a better term, in a uh, you know, in a corridor, following the story. This makes you feel like it's much more open ended than it really is. So, from that aspect in the campaign, they've done a really good job of kind of hiding the hallway you're walking down, so to speak. Uh, now, the first mission you go, that's the Normandy landings. It's all you would think of from Saving Private Ryan, all that kind of stuff. They do subtly change some stuff. The sound is ex- exceptional in the entire game, by the way. Now, the sound's really good. The The visuals are what you would expect from a Call of Duty 2017. And it's, you know, pretty much industry standard for doing doing good visuals in an FPS. Um, multiplayer, it is, uh, many of the purists will say, this is how you should be playing FPS, is not this crazy wall running and 
like teleport blink jumping and all this other craziness. I actually enjoyed that other stuff. You know, I'm not a big Call of Duty fan at all, but I thought that just gave you more diversity in your gameplay and styles. There's not a lot of perks anymore uh, or ways you can customize, so to speak. And it's really, you kind of join like one of, I think, six divisions, like the, the mountain division, the airborne division, the this division or that division. And that has its own sort of skill tree. So it's, it's almost like a, a class or a role, you know, depending on the type of organization you join. Um, very, very super Twitch based. Like I was joking with some guys on, with you guys on uh, uh, Skype earlier, but I really feel to be, to, to feel like you need to be successful at multiplayer in Call of Duty World War II, you need to have, be on Adderall and Red Bull uh, because you will die a lot and fast. Uh, there's no like, let me stay behind cover cover for about five to seven seconds, let my health recharge. Like you're no, you're you're dead. <laughs> uh, so it definitely changes some things in terms of what you're doing. The skill gap is going to be exceptionally uh, exceptionally deep for some players on this one. So onto the zombie mode, that's actually just really, really well done. Like super well done. Very, very spooky. Very creepy. Um, definitely has a kind of a horror movie kind of vibe to it. But everything in the movie, everything in this whole game, like start to finish in terms of tone, you could tell they really wanted to have an homage to some of their earlier Call of Duties that were all like kind of World War II style. But um, the... Everything's like very grounded and realistic and gritty, or at least you know pseudo realistic. The zombie mode is surprisingly like that too, believe it or not. It's um, it it when you see the visuals, particularly when you start getting into the little underground labs and stuff like that, it really looks like yeah, this is some shit like the Germans would cook up in 1944 to try to like you know save the fatherland by creating zombies. And it looks like it, and it feels like it, and it's really, really super, um, super well done in terms of how the game, you know, applies jump scares, the music, the sound that they do. It's it's really good. So I'm not a huge zombie wave fan. Like I said, not a big Call of Duty guy. Uh, I'm you know average at best at the at this style of FPS game. Probably not quite average, like as on the on the poor side of that. Um, overall, seems to be a pretty solid game. It Definitely has some things in there that are uh, like the, the graphics are not going to wow you, but they are good for 2017. They're, they're current modern graphics. Sound is excellent. The minute to minute gameplay though is it's definitely not my style. It's, it's a little bit too much, you know, too twitchy and the margin for error is a little bit too tight on it for me. Uh, so that is definitely uh, something you got to get used to if you want to play multiplayer in this game. The, the campaign mode, while interesting and it, they do take a good stab at it, there it, it's um, it, I actually enjoyed. I think uh, Advanced Warfare to like whatever their last one before the Jon Snow space battle one was, uh, maybe a little bit more than this one. But it's again, they're taking a really good stab at it. Uh, one of the main characters in the zombie mode is David Tennant, so that's a that's an instant win for me. Uh, so other than, other than that, I'd say it, it's probably going to be worth your time. I'll have an actual full review on the game in about a week or two once I've actually played through the rest of the story mode and actually kind of gotten a little bit deeper into it and kind of tried out some different weapons and stuff. It's definitely a, a throwback to a lot of the earlier styles of Call of Duty is the big thing, I would say. And it is very twitchy. And like I said, at the, at the bottom line, you're going to get Call of Duty and it's going to be World War II.
All right, sounds good, man. Um, it sounds like about what I what I was expecting, but it seems like it's at least delivering on, on what people have kind of come to expect. So that's good. Okay, so I'm actually going to probably push um, our initial impressions of Amnesia: The Dark Descent till next week, um, just because we're we're going pretty long on time here, and I would actually like to see more gameplay before we we kind of talk about it. So, um, but overall, it's it's really interesting, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. So we'll we'll talk about Amnesia next week. Um, real quick, uh, before we go into shoutouts, I wanted to go over the PlayStation Plus and Xbox Gold games for the month of November. If you're a member of you know either of those services, you will get these games for free. Um, so for PlayStation, you have R-Type Dimensions on the PS3. You have Ragdoll Kung Fu Fists of Plastic for the PS3. You have Dungeon Punks for PS Vita, and that comes with the cross-buy for the PS4. And you also have Broken Sword 5, The Serpent's Curse, Episode 1 and 2 for the Vita. So not much to go for the PS4, but given we've gotten some really good titles for the past couple months, I'll... I'll give them a pass on that one. So if you have a PS3 or a Vita, you've got uh, some stuff you can play. If you've got a PS4, you've got a one, one cross-buy title you can work with, but uh, not a whole lot for the PS4 this month. Uh, for Xbox Gold members for November, you have uh, Nights into Dreams for Xbox 360. You have Deadfall Adventures for Xbox 360. You have Turbo or Trackmania Turbo um, for Xbox One. That's going to be available from November 1st through the 30th. Uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Um, we talked a bit about that one in the past really good stuff if you haven't played it you should give it a shot that's available on xbox one from november 16th to december 15th and the turing test um that's kind of a puzzle game that nozelle has talked about in the past on pc but that is highly highly recommend yeah good stuff uh that's available on xbox one for uh, right now i guess until november 15th so only a couple uh, days left hurry up well a couple days once you post this yeah yeah um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's till the 15th. So uh, make sure to check those out. We will try to get back and do some reviews on those. I know we've kind of fallen out of practice for the past few weeks, um, just travel and being busy and that sort of thing. But we will get back into doing uh, more proper reviews every week uh, between me and Bait. Uh, with that said, I'd like to go into some shout-outs here. Um, so I'm actually going to start this week. Uh, so my shout-out is going to go to a game company called Runic Games. Uh, they unfortunately are also being shut down, but they made a game that I really, really liked called Torchlight 2, which was kind of a Diablo-style game, but it was uh, very indie, but very well-produced, um, just a really solid product. And I, I played hundreds of hours on that game, really liked it. Uh, so sad to see them go, but uh, they did make some really good stuff. But those games are still going to be supported by their parent company. So um, if you haven't played Torchlight 2, go play it. It's really good. You can get it on Steam for like 5 10 bucks, and it's usually like half off on the steam sale so keep an eye out for that one uh next up zell you got a shout out man i've actually got a second shout out i'm kind of overdoing it this week so uh the first thing i wanted to mention is uh some people who listen to the show uh know that a computer of mine has lit on fire before so uh since that time i'm a little bit neurotic about fire safety um so the thing that i wanted to mention for those of you who might not know um if you have a home fire extinguisher, of which you should, uh, there has actually been a huge recall uh, in the U.S. of KID, K-I-D-D-E, uh, fire extinguishers, anyone with a plastic handle, which is almost all of them that they sell to uh, for home use, the little ones. Um, they have recalled like every single KID fire extinguisher with a plastic handle made since 1973. You probably have one. Get a replacement. That's it. That's my first shout out. My second shout-out is a wonderful article from Kotaku that I love, uh, which is called The Most Expensive Things You Can Buy on Steam. 
Uh, we will probably link it, but uh, to give you a preview, uh, the most expensive like game on Steam is uh, it's not really a game. It's a piece of software for making VR uh, locations, and it's $995. The most expensive single microtransaction is uh, that you can buy 15,400 uh, Plex for EVE Online, uh, which is a lot of game time uh, for $500. Um, and uh, my, my personal favorite one is uh, the most expensive DLC you can buy if you buy all of the DLC. And that's Train Simulator. Train Simulator has $4,207.42 worth of DLC, which is a lot of trains. How do you simulate a train? Like, like what well, do you do? You, you, could sit, you sit in the, in the engineer's seat and you drive the train around the, the map. But is it in VR? I don't. I don't think so. Tra- I, I'm pretty sure Train Simulator predates like the current VR trend. Um, but yeah, Train Simulator is one of those things. It's been around a long time. And for some reason, it's popular. Like, I mean, like when I think, what would you do when driving a train? Well, there's like a forward button. Like there's a throttle, right? And I assume you've got like an emergency brake. Um, but uh, Train Simulator's serious business. They got forty two hundred dollars worth of DLC. That is intense. So if you want to be a steam whale, get your train on. Yeah. Oh, oh, the other one that's good is uh, uh, Star Story The Horizon Escape has an art book you can buy for $200. It's not a real book. That's a PDF file. It's a $200 PDF file. Oh, my gosh. At some point, Zell, your homework for this week is I want you to go on to RSI and tally up how much money you can actually spend on Star Citizen if you buy everything. And I want to know what the total is at the end of the next week. It's a lot, but I know there's like a there's a bundle that used to be everything at least and may or may not include all their current stuff that was like fifteen thousand um, dollars. And and there are people who have bought multiple. <sighs> okay, yeah, I, I want to know what what everything is. So so get back to me on that one. Well, the problem um, is they're not all like Star Citizen stuff. Like a lot of the ships are not currently for sale. So the prices differ at different times, and right now a lot of them are not for sale at all. So it's very hard to figure out exactly uh, what everything would cost. You're killing me. But it would be a lot. Okay. All right. Jay, you're up, man. Ooh. Uh, Shout-outs to the Houston Astros. Uh, long time coming, and it was actually quite quite fun watching my uh, hometown team uh, take, the, take the World Series. I was – I think it's probably like 2006-ish when they got pretty close to got to the World Series and ultimately were uh, came away empty, empty-handed. But this time they uh, they did great. It's really good, uh, really good watching that happen. Uh, other than that, uh, it's pretty thin this week. All right, sounds good, man. Um, so that's our show for this week. Uh, pretty good long discussion about uh, a lot of different things. But you know, again, just to remind everyone, we do have um, a contest running that if you want to submit a uh, topic um, just send it to my email at pokey.draven at uh, gmail.com if you got a topic you want us to discuss we're going to kind of compile all the submissions and if we pick yours you get a copy of destiny 2 on ps4 so get those submissions in and we'll be announcing that in a couple weeks on who won so do 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 that and of course you are always welcome to come on the show and discuss your topic if you win so that being said guys uh please be safe out there i hope you had a good halloween and uh stay safe going into the november holiday season so take care